It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Does that intro not give you chills? Welcome, everybody, to Just Recruiting with Jonathan Rifkin here on Are You Serious Sports, Landry Football, and on Just Underscore Recruiting on Twitter. My name is Jonathan Rifkin. I'm delighted to be with you. We have a big deal today, a lot of really good conversations. But, guys, I I really want to start the show off with uh, first just expressing my concern, my condolence, and, and my appreciation to just all the people affected by Hurricane Laura. I know a lot of you uh, have been up all night protecting yourself, your family, your property. Uh, it is not easy. And everybody here at AYS, our hearts are with you. Um, I ha- I couldn't even begin to understand what you're going through. Uh, I was up late last night FaceTiming Tubi Lane, our incredible producer here at AYS. Uh, and the last thing that I saw was lights flicker and the FaceTime dropped and I haven't heard from him si- since. Uh, that was about 1 o'clock a.m. Pacific time. So 3 o'clock out there in the Central. So Tubi and everybody, I-, I hope that you're okay that you're in good spirits and hopefully uh we can bring you a little bit uh, of positive light here on just recruiting into everybody affected by the california fires as well two raging fires absolutely destroying the central and northern parts of the state uh here in california we are with you as well our hearts and our thoughts are with you big show for here on just recruiting with jonathan rifkin in about seven minutes robbie weinstein from 24 7 sports national news desk he also covers vanderbilt football and baseball will join us to talk a little bit about vanderbilt i know we don't talk a lot about vanderbilt here on ays maybe that's blake Rafino's fault i don't know but we are going to talk about vanderbilt here on just recruiting some interesting stuff coming out of nashville tennessee and then ross martin at about 2.30 Central, 12.30 here on the Pacific Time from Inside Carolina and 24-7 Sports. He also hosts the Scoop Podcast. He will join us at about 12.30 Pacific Time, 2.30 Central to talk about the University of North Carolina, their football team, man. I know they're a basketball school, but what the Tar Heels have going on on the gridiron is pretty incredible. 11th-ranked recruiting class coming into the 2021 season. Number two in the ACC. We saw what they did uh, to Clemson last year. Barely, barely lost in that 28-27 barn burner. So we're going to bring on Ross Martin in about 
30 minutes. But I want to start with this. I want to start with this. On Tuesday, on Tuesday night, Blake Rafino and company talked about recruiting and, and, and the discussion surrounding how recruiting and how recruits are evaluated by rivals, by ESPN, by 24-7 sports. And, and Blake said something in, interesting. He mentioned Alabama bias and SEC bias. And by the way, when somebody from the SEC who covers the SEC and who I believe, no offense, Blake, and all of you here at AWS may have an inherent SEC bias, points to that as a point of contention when recruits are being ranked, uh, we have to talk about. And it says something. Mark LaGrange, how are we doing? Are you going to address the student-led recruiting get-together what seems to be playing with the rules? Um, so here's the thing about this movement, Mark. I don't have enough to go into it right now. I think that it's sort of the sim- same situation uh, as the We Are United movement, right? And right now, the We Are United movement has dropped off because what we are hearing for these movements, and I'm going to put that Facebook comment, the recruits get together, right? We're hearing the loudest voices. We're hearing... The recruits that this impacts the most are at perceptively, right? The four and five stars. Uh, here's the deal with the recruiting get together. I'm with it. I think that it's important that everybody band together. I think it's important that the recruits understand that we are in unprecedented times uh, and that management in terms of the upper echelon of these conferences may or may not be necessarily looking out for their best interests. And I think the best way to the best point of context I can give you example is Nebraska. Right now, Nebraska has eight football players suing the Big Ten. If I'm a recruit who's looking at Nebraska, I'm a little bit worried. And and I'm saying this from a point of it being part of the Big Ten, right? Because the Big Ten, over the course of the last three weeks, has proven that they are not serving the best interest of their athletes and their athletic departments. I apologize that I just froze. Um, And recruits have to now look out for their best self-interest. Do they want to go to Ohio State and play in the Big Ten? Because the Big Ten has proven that they're not going to serve in the best interest uh, of the schools. Probably not. It's a big turnoff. The Pac-12 is sort of a similar way. By the way, the Pac-12 laid off 88 staffers in the last two days. 88 Pac-12 network staffers. A conference that took out a billion-dollar loan, put $1.4 billion of TV revenue and contracts on collateral. uh, And now they are getting laid off. So there's mismanagement everywhere, Mark, and it, it will trickle down to recruiting. And unfortunately, I just, I can't give you enough right now. It's the youth of the movement. We're only hearing from blue checks. We're only hearing from top recruits. And it's really important we keep into context the fact that the media is looking for a way to disseminate these voices in a way that makes them money, right? And, and we've seen that we saw it with the We Are United movement that began. We saw it with the We Want to Play movement. Heck, we're seeing it right now with what's happening in the NBA. The media is trying to find a way to use the narrative to their advantage, regardless of how you, whether or not you agree or disagree uh, with what's going on, right? We can all agree on that. There's a financial gain to be made. And that's the same with the recruiting, recruits get together movement that is now being put forth. With that being said, I want to go into this. Players are evaluated subjectively. And Blake said it, right? Alabama, when you have an athlete who commits Alabama and after not even playing a game since last December, gets bumped up from outside the top 250 to 46 in the nation, there's a little bit of inherent bias going on right there. Hank South, who writes for Bama Online 24-7 Sports, wrote that at the end of his piece yesterday, talking about um, 
Alabama and Jalen Milrow from Katy, Texas, who just committed. He said at the end, he said number the number one recruiting classes that should be considered, by the way, Alabama just moved ahead of Ohio State with the commitment of Jalen Milrow from Katy, Texas, a four-star quarterback. Uh, by the way, Milrow, this is, this is my point. This guy was a 10 out of 10 lock for Texas, according to the top five 24-7 experts. He was a 10 out of 10 lock, and then he com- commits to Alabama, right? So what that tells me is, number one, we are looking at this thing through the scope of the people reporting it. And the way that these recruits can be evaluated are, are twofold, right? Yeah, they have the whole oh, once-in-a-lifetime type deal. They have, uh, you know, these are the criteria for four stars, five stars, three stars, what have you. And a lot of that, yeah, comes from pro days. It comes from senior bowls, Polynesian Bowl, Elite 11, and consistent play in the respective states. But it is a very subjective conversation. And I'll give you a very prime example. Parker McQuarrie, a four-star quarterback committed to UCLA from New Hampshire. Parker McQuarrie is not a four-star quarterback in the scope of things. Now, he plays in New Hampshire. And what that does is, yeah, it's a stat booster. His strength of schedule is not near what you're seeing from echelon, the upper echelon programs here in Southern California, out in Florida, Alabama, Texas, up in Wisconsin, right? We're looking at a very small sample size in New Hampshire and one guy who is leading the way. Is Parker McQuarrie going to flourish at UCLA? Probably. Maybe. I hope so. As a Pac-12 apologist, I hope for the sake of the conference that UCLA gets some footing with this guy. But I don't think Parker McQuarrie is a four-star quarterback. And the reason he's rated that way is simply because of the talent that he goes up against in New Hampshire. He has tested well. His stats were really nice. In the lead 11, the breakdown, the tale of the tape, if you will. The Polynesian Bowl, he'll be invited to uh, if there is one this upcoming year. And that is a point of evaluation because you finally get to see these players go up against top talent. But you have to take it with a grain of salt, right? Keaton Slovis is a great example at USC. He was a three-star, no power five schools really looking at him, but USC. And that was only because his offensive coordinator at Desert Mountain High School in Arizona was Kurt Warner. That was the only reason that he went to USC. And guess what? Keaton Slovis is now in a position to absolutely take over the Pac-12 as one of the elite quarterbacks in the conference. That's where rankings were wrong. Jack Cohn, any group of five player who makes it into the NFL. is an, Ian Book is another example at Notre Dame. Justin Herbert for Oregon. Only Oregon was looking at him. The other Power Five schools, not really. They didn't really care about Justin Herbert at the time. He was looking at Southern Utah and Eastern Washington. So the way that these evaluations are handled is very subjective. It's based uh, on the state that these athletes are c- coming from and the situations that they're in. And it's really simple. And it sucks that these athletes are all of a sudden getting rated based on where they're committed. They should be getting rated based on the talent that they possess. And I know it's hard to evaluate based on a state-by-state basis, right? Bryce Young played at Modern Day. Modern Day had the number one strength of schedule in the country. They played DeMatha out of Maryland. They lost to St. John Bosco in the CIF championship, but they beat St. John Bosco in the regular season. Again, we can go through the list. I'm not going to go through the entire Modern Day schedule, but that is a strength of schedule where you, you can evaluate Bryce Young and say, okay, this guy is the number one quarterback in the country. DJ Ugolele at, at, at Clemson from St. John Bosco. Same situation, right? Those are better evaluations than somebody like Parker McQuarrie from New Hampshire or someone who plays in, in, in Texas like Jalen Milroe because there are so many talented athletes in Texas, right? So you have to take this all with a grain of salt. All right, we're running a little bit behind here on schedule, but guys, Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Landry Football, on Are You Serious Sports, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook Live, uh, wherever you may be consuming this. We appreciate you making us a part of your Thursday afternoon plans. Again, 
you're out in Louisiana and Texas, which a big demographic uh, of our viewership base is. We hope that you're safe. We hope that uh, we can provide a little bit uh, of positive light here uh, in the sports world as we try to get help you through uh, what is one of the more trying times in recent memory down south. So now, with that being said, it is my pleasure to bring on Robbie Weinstein from Vanderbilt. He's a 24-7 Sports National Dude's Desk cover guy. He also covers Vanderbilt. And we are bringing him in right now. Robbie, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Our double box is a little bit zoomed in. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, but as long unfortunately, our producer, Doobie, uh, is in Appaloosas, Louisiana. He has a, We have had to scramble and, and try to find a way to get the show going. So uh, we're doing the best that we can, but we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. So, Robbie, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and, and one of the things that I want to talk about here is the coronavirus situation. The perspectives coming out of the SEC that are surrounding what's going on, the conversations being had surrounding coronavirus and its various programs are mostly being shared through the big names, right? Nick Saban, Coach O. What's your take on Vanderbilt's stance uh, on how coronavirus has been impacting the SEC and the program as a whole? I know that the program just came back from a hiatus because of, of positive testing. Uh, just take us through what you've seen in the field that you have with the program and coronavirus right now. Yeah, I think with Vanderbilt, um, you know, to be honest, I think they did decently well to get back as soon as they did. Uh, they shut down practice, I think, starting Friday and, and came back uh, yesterday on Wednesday. Um, so, you know, I, I think if you have a big outbreak, you know, let's say some coaches get it, uh, all of a sudden it becomes really hard to run. Like, how do you run practice if, you know, you have five or six staff members who have to quarantine? That's really difficult. Uh, so I think, you know, what, what Derek Mason said yesterday after they returned to practice is that, you know, it's not good whenever this happens. You lose some days of practice and obviously guys are sick and quarantined. But at least happening, if it happens, you know, during fall camp, you can adjust your protocols a little bit, refocus. And if it's going to happen, you'd rather have it happen in fall camp, especially this far out from the season, as opposed to like on game week, right? Uh, so, I mean, I haven't gotten any indication that, you know, Vanderbilt is, you know, not going to play or something like that. I mean, I, I think um, they feel pretty confident in their, their safety protocols. Uh, it obviously wasn't a big enough outbreak to keep them from, you know, starting back practice for like a week or two or something like that. So I don't know. I mean, I, it seems like the SEC is going to keep going forward right now. We'll see, you know, how that pans out over the next week or two now that students are back on campus. But Seems like things are still full steam ahead right now. Uh, Mark Lagrange. So one of the great things about this show here, Robbie, I'm going to go off script here for just a moment, is that we actually get interactions through our fan bases from all yeah. of the platforms that we stream. So Mark Lagrange, as you see on your screen, asks, uh, what are Vandy's views about the SEC-only schedule for a team that has notoriously struggled with the SEC specifically? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's going to be difficult, right? Uh, it, it's in recruiting... You know, let's say that, uh, you know, Vanderbilt or Arkansas goes like one and nine or two and eight in the SEC. I think we all understand that in a normal season, that could be something like five and seven, maybe, you know, four and eight, which looks a lot less bad. But when you're, you know, I think we understand that it's going to be so much more difficult with the SEC only schedule. But when you're in recruiting, don't you think it's kind of difficult to sell? Like when, you, when you're coming off a one win season, that's difficult. That is really tough. Even though it's an all SEC, all SEC schedule, we understand the context. Just think optically, it's it's tough. 
so I don't think it's ideal. I, um, it's possible, you know, some of the like Vandy was going to have to play at Kansas State. They're going to have Colorado State and Louisiana Tech at home, which probably are not automatic wins. I mean, those are good group of five schools. Um, but I think they would have been favored in, in those two games and underdogs at K-State. So instead of, um, you know, maybe like a four or five win season, you're looking at probably, you know, it could be a one and one or two win season unless they surprise. I think that's what most experts have projected, probably one win or maybe even no wins. Uh, I think they'll win at least one. I, I think, you know, just the percentages play in your favor over the course of a 10-game season. But no doubt, I mean, it, it can create some challenges for Vanderbilt and Arkansas, for instance. Vanderbilt is a, a, one of the youngest teams in the SEC, if not the youngest. The quarterback situation uh, is interesting. And I'm going to go into that first before I ask you about how getting a year of eligibility back will actually affect um, sort of the utilization of these players this season because it seems more like a year to be able to develop some of these young talent rather than we're going to go out and try to win some games. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But right now, it, it looks like the quarterback battle and you can again correct me if i'm wrong is between freshman ken seals and juco transfer jeremy moose am i correct to say that uh i, I would put danny clark who's also a juco transfer probably is the second guy but uh seals for sure yeah so when you have a quarterback like ken seals out of texas right he's coming into a program now with limited preparation going into a season playing an sec only schedule it, it for somebody like him or for him specifically, for a freshman with a bunch of sophomore wide receivers who are up on the depth chart that he will be tossing to um, and a fairly young offensive line, what are the keys to develop him here so that way come next season if things sort of get back into the swing that we're used to, what are the keys for him to to get comfortable with this offense and with some of the other younger talents so that way Vanderbilt is now in a position to win for the next few years to come? Yeah, I, I think um, it, it is a tough situation for him because instead of opening against a Mercer, an FCS school, you go to Texas A&M. I, I mean, geez. <laughs> um, I, I think so they've changed the offense. They used to, you know, when Derek Mason got there in 2014 up through last year, they were pro style offense and they hired uh, Todd Fitch, who's the former offensive coordinator at Louisiana Tech. And now they're going to like a spread system, going to be a lot of 11 personnel. And in the spring, they did get a few spring practices in. What they showed is that they were um, throwing a lot of quick hitters, screens, that sort of stuff. Uh, I think they'll let whoever the quarterback is, if it is Seals, which is who I suspect it will be, I think they'll let them throw the ball down the field a little bit. But I think the key will be keeping it simple and uh, working the short passing game a lot. Because, yeah, like you said, the offensive line, they've had guys who are going to opt out. Um, they were pretty young anyway. They're pretty inexperienced. Backups, a lot of them are going to be true freshmen on the second team offensive line, and that's a high injury rate position where those guys could have to step in this season. So, yeah, I don't think he's going to have time to throw the ball downfield a whole lot. And so I think the key to success is, is you know, understanding that and, and setting him up for success by calling a lot of screens and misdirection, that sort of stuff, where he doesn't he can get the ball out quickly and he doesn't have to look downfield too much. Quarterback change in the SEC is pretty pragmatic this year, as we know. Um the defense for Vanderbilt last year, a lot of returners, uh, but they were 66th in the nation in passing guards, a lot on a 101st in total off and defense. Excuse me. Are there adjustments that are going to be made? And, and is there a luxury to having a young core of defensive players coming back in this situation to sort of anchor uh, and, and have a feel for what def what you have to do and defensively, even if you're losing 66-0 to Florida um, to to 
at least compete in the SEC? Is there some luxury having those players back now that everybody's in the situation of minimal prep and having to play an SEC only schedule? Yeah, I, I think the continuity factor could help uh, with you know lack of spring ball. Also, they do they do have a new defensive coordinator in Ted Roof, but I, I don't know that they're going to be radically changing what they do in terms of the personnel that they put on the field and such. I think they're still base three four. I think um, the question is, as you said, they weren't very good on defense last year or the year before, you know, or in uh, 2017, to be honest with you, the last three years, they haven't been very good defensively after they were pretty good in that area uh, in Mason's early seasons. So the question is, um, you know, are they going to make a huge jump just by the fact that they have 11 returning starters or, you know, are these guys just not that good? I, I don't think we know the answer to that for sure. I would lean, I think it's probably... You know, right now, I, I don't think you could say one or the other for sure, but I, I think they will get a lot better. They've added some talent via the transfer market from Power 5 schools. And they've got a transfer from Oregon on the defensive line as well as from Florida. Malik Langham, he was a former four-star recruit. And I, I think, like, the secondary could be pretty good. The defensive line has been a weakness over the last few years and has improved both in terms of depth and, I think, top-end talent. And then with Dimitri Moore, who's kind of the main linebacker, inside linebacker for them, he was going to opt out, and he decided to come back and play. That's a big addition. He could be an NFL draft pick next year. He's a redshirt junior. So I, I, I think they're going to be significantly improved on defense. I think they could start to approach sort of average in the SEC, which maybe in a normal season where everyone's playing would be like something like 40th nationally, which would be a huge improvement. Um, I do think – you know, offensively, are they going to be able to score enough points so that that matters? I, I don't know. I think that this is an interesting situation because to be able to get a year of eligibility back and to develop your young talent, I think that that's sort of what people need to expect, right? It's not going to be like you said, you expect them to win one, maybe two games. If that's the expectation, then what people have to take with is with all of this is a grain of salt, right? This is now a, a developing year for Vanderbilt rather than, okay, we have the pieces. Now we have to go find a way to compete. And I think that's okay. By the way, Mark LaGrange does want you to know that a lot of people in SEC would cheer for the Vandy show. And he says, go Vandy. I don't know the last time I saw that. That's awesome. All right, Mark. Well, I'm sure that Robbie here appreciate and everybody at Vanderbilt appreciate that. Um, my last question for you on the football side, we only have about three minutes left. I know I, I, I need to get you out of here and, and we have some stuff to talk about at the end of the show. But um, I have a Pac-12 background. I went to Oregon. Um, I, I live in Southern California. I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, so I would be shamed for complimenting the SEC in any, in any respect. Uh, it would go against my nature and my constituency. But to be fair, it is the most dominant conference in, in football. It's just it that's just what it is. I'm not, you know, a crazy raging Pac-12. If anything, I'm a Pac-12 apologist. Um, Vandy has had trouble competing at a high level for SEC recruits specifically. What do they need to do to get back on the map in the recruiting aspect to start competing? It doesn't have to be with Alabama and with Florida and with Auburn, but maybe with the middle of the pack, the Texas A&Ms and the Tennessees. What do they need to do to get back into that culture for recruiting? I think they were in the mix, at least, for a few you know, pretty good players. Like, for instance, four-star quarterback Kyron Drones out of Texas. I think Vanderbilt sounded like they came up, you know, they were runners-up for him at, uh, behind Baylor and uh, probably had an edge over Auburn. For whatever reason so i mean i think what it comes down to is they need to put a better product on the field in the short term to be able to it's just it's just hard to you know compete with these other power five schools when 
you're coming off not only are you coming off a three and nine season but you lost three pretty good skill position guys to the nfl and so people are saying well we don't think they're going to be any better next year next year being 2020 right so i think if they can show some hope like if seals you know looks pretty good as a true freshman and we can you know they can go into the 2021 season with you know hoping to make a bowl game and, and you know having a shot to do that i think that would help that's what they need to do in the short term long term they're going to need facilities upgrades big time facilities upgrades uh, they were going to do a major renovation of the locker room uh which is actually not in the football stadium it's a little different it's over in the football facility uh i you know the status of that was kind of like muddled by the you know the pandemic it's hard to work on something like that in a time like this but i think they're going to get that done at some point but then you know they need stadium upgrades uh, and probably other upgrades within the football facility uh because I, I don't think when you when when recruits visit it just doesn't uh stand out in the same way that you know even the lower tier sec schools like I don't know, Missouri or Kentucky or whatever are going to have in terms of facilities. So they need to be competitive there. And I'm not sure that they are right now. Robbie, thank you so much for taking the time to give us just the overall macro perspective. And you have some really good nuances about Vandy football here. I want to move over to the one question that I had about, not even one question, just the baseball, right? Baseball <laughs> yeah. season got cut short. Uh, my roommate actually went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and he was very excited about the win uh, that they yeah. had against Vanderbilt back in uh, in Scottsdale. But Vanderbilt, obviously a perennial powerhouse. Uh, I would argue that them and UCLA are probably the two most competitive programs year in and year out nationally. It's one of the few schools to actually drive revenue from its baseball program. Uh, baseball season obviously was abruptly halted through coronavirus. They're trying to figure out a way to get things going for this upcoming year. What can you tell us about Vanderbilt's baseball program, the state that it's in? And if things do get back on track come February, March, yeah. April, what can we expect to see out of Nashville? I don't think the program has ever been in better shape. Uh, uh, I mean, they're still technically reigning national champs. Uh, they looked like they were going to take a step back this year. I think they, they had a little bit of a slow start, which they were still like 13 and five. That's not not too bad. I mean, I think they were going to be probably a national or they were they were going to probably host a, a regional, but not a super regional. Uh, so maybe in that like uh, 10 to 18 range or so, roughly. I think next year they're going to be significantly better because the the offense is going to be better. They had some issues putting runs on the board this year, and then the pitching is just not going to drop off much. I mean, they could right now they have, according to a lot of experts, the top two prospects in the 2021 MLB draft in their starting rotation in Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. Both of them throw like mid to high 90s. Uh, I think both are going to be really good starters in the major leagues long term. I just I mean, they're going to have the best pitching staff in the entire country. The bullpen is going to be excellent as well. Uh, I don't know that the offense is going to be elite, but, you know, if you have a really good offense, you know, even if it's not elite, with that staff, I, I mean, I'd say they should definitely be preseason, like, top three. I haven't taken a close enough look at, you know, other top programs such as UCLA to really compare, but, yeah, they're going to be super dangerous. I mean, watching Rocker and Lighter pitch is just a treat. Catch out Vanderbilt baseball when that comes back. Robbie, we appreciate you taking the time. You can catch all of Robbie Weinstein's stuff at 24-7 Sports on the National News Desk. He also covers Vanderbilt football and baseball. Robbie, we appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Yeah, appreciate you uh, having me. Thank you. Stay safe, and we'll talk soon. All right, that was Robbie. All right, we got to 
got to change the overlay here a bit. So we're about to transition. How about this? We're about to go from the SEC to the ACC. And now joining us here on the show is the one, and I've been hyping you up, the one and only Ross Martin. Ross, how are you doing? Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, I uh, appreciate it, Jonathan. This is a new little setup here. I'm, I'm, uh, it's, it's new to me. I like it. I like this background um, that you that you have a little. Typically, we're stuck inside. You're giving us a fresher perspective being outside. I like that. I know a lot of our yeah. viewers right now are, are down in Louisiana and Texas, and they're all sheltered up because of Hurricane Laura. So I'm sure seeing a little bit of fresh air is a, a sight welcomed for them as well. So Ross Martin from Inside Carolina and 24-7 Sports. He also hosts the Scoop Podcast. I believe that's what it's called, right? I, I got that right? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's our recruit. That's our recruiting podcast. Uh, well, that's even better because we are in a recruiting show. Before we get into it, did I read that it's head coach Mac Brown's birthday today? It is. It's his 69th birthday. So, uh, yeah, he's one year younger than Roy Williams. They're they're always chasing each other. <laughs> well, we're going to see who wins a, a title first now that they're both over the hump. Um, ooh, I don't know. UNC's looking pretty nice on the football field right now, but I know you cover basketball as well. We'll keep it for football for now. Um, I'm from the West Coast, and, and we're most – of our coverage coming out of the ACC is centered around Clemson. It's around Clemson football. And I know we hear a lot about North Carolina for basketball. Um, but for my ill-informed West Coasters and a lot of our constituency down South that does watch this. So can you give us a brief synopsis, brief synopsis, excuse me, of why UNC football should be feared by basically everybody, including Clemson in the upcoming seasons? Yeah. I mean, Mac has got things rolling in Chapel Hill. I mean, quicker than I expected, you know, you, you would think, when he came in, that he would get things back on track, maybe stabilize the program. But they recruited at, at, a, at a really unreal level that UNC hadn't seen in a long time, um, and that's the basis of it. And then the key was getting in Sam Howe, the uh, the four-star quarterback from the Charlotte area. He got in uh, – that was a 2019 class. That was, his, that was Mac Brown's first class. So getting in a really, really stellar quarterback was huge. And building on that, they had a seven and six season with Sam at, at quarterback. They had some talent from the Larry Fedora era. And from there, they've just been really well recruiting. They had the number 13 class in 2020 that are going to be freshmen this year. And right now, they have the number, um, I think it's ranked 11 right now for the 2021 class. So recruiting has been great for UNC, and, and the momentum is high. There's tons of talent on offense heading to this year. There's some definitely some players on defense, and you know how program building works. I mean, you just got to recruit. You got to recruit. You got to build. You got to build at every position. And eventually get some depth, you get some talent, and your, your five stars and your four stars are paying out, and you go from there. And that's how Clemson did it. And UNC and Mac Brown kind of molding their uh, program building kind of around what Clemson did. So let's talk about these four stars. I want to get to Sam Howell here in a moment, uh, as obviously I'm sure many people do want to hear your take on Howell. And uh, Mark Sanchez recently saying that he's probably going to be in contention, if not, will win the ACC Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, but I know you recently spoke to four-star wide receiver commit Gavin Blackwell, and you got his perspective on UNC, why he chose UNC the offense. What was your takeaway from that conversation? Because UNC now has proven that they can consistently ice top recruits, both in the, in the state itself, but around the country. Uh, and the credibility of the program is building from a football perspective. Is this something that we can expect to continue from a recruiting perspective uh, for the foreseeable future? And also, do you see that players such as Gavin Blackwell being a consistent point of recruitment for this UNC program? Yeah, I mean, so this year in 21, so the committed players right now that are going to enroll next January, next June, 
I mean, there was a lot of talent in the state of North Carolina. So usually, excuse me, a lot of, usually North Carolina doesn't have that much talent, but it's, it's pretty good. But this year was incredible. You know, they had, I mean, the top 20, I think, were all, you know, really high rated, if not all four stars. So it was just a lot of talent in the state. And, and you can see the flagship university. Uh, it was a very attractive place to commit to. So guys like Gavin Blackwell, Javari Ritzy, Rob Rob Dilworth, those caliber players committed to UNC. And, and this, the level of talent in state really helped the 2021 class. Now, that's not always sustainable because the talent in state is going to not be as good as it was this year. But the offense is attractive. And you mentioned Gavin Blackwell. You know, wide receivers and quarterbacks are going to want to play in this offense. They throw the ball a lot. The wide receivers catch the ball a lot. The running backs run a lot. They score a lot. And they averaged – I won't say average, but they average a lot. And they should average a lot more this year. So, I think when you have an attractive offense that, that gets the ball to its playmakers, you're going to get commitments from skill players regardless of, of kind of where you are. Because you can just sell that offense. You can sell passes and runs and, and you're not going to be you know it's not gonna be a stagnant offense so i think that's why players like gavin blackwell kobe passor um i mean guys like sam howe and drake may the quarterback commitment are, are attracted to unc right now with the air raid offense under uh offense coordinator phil longo so kind of builds on itself i think they see success they want to be part of success and that's kind of the issue with momentum with with football programs you always want the kind of the hot new thing and that's where unc is right now Ryan Meyer on Facebook Live says Tar Heels are the closest team to compete with Clemson in the ACC. So that was actually perfectly sets up my next question. Uh, here in the Pac-12, I, I have a Pac-12 background. I went to Oregon. I have a Pac-12 show as well. Um, one of the things that I talk about is the reason that schools like Oregon, Washington, even Cal defensively, Arizona State are all now recruiting well is they're using the narrative or they, they build credibility using the narrative of we are in a position to finally down USC as the perennial powerhouse in the Pac-12. Now, Clemson has that perception in the ACC, obviously, as of the last few years. Is that a pitch that is attractive to recruits? Mac Brown goes out or, or your recruiting coordinators go out. Look at the last few years when UNC has played Clemson. They, they have been not only competitive, but they were in a position to win, right? So is that a narrative? That has been used to attract recruits as sort of the anti-Clemson. We have the opportunity to take over the ACC opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a, a selling point to some respects. I think another angle of it is that you get to play against Clemson. You know, Clemson probably didn't recruit you. So why don't you come to North Carolina and, and prove that you are of that caliber? And, you know, Clemson can't take everybody. So they're not, they can't take 50 players. They can only take 20, 25 a year. So out of the Georgia area, South Carolina, North Carolina, you're going to get a lot of high caliber players that Clemson passes over that maybe feel slighted and then go to Carolina. They can go to um, like a Florida state or, you know, Louisville and, and compete against one of the, the best powerhouses in the nation right now. So I think players want to be in a top conference, obviously the SEC big 10 kind of can claim that now, but Clemson's stronghold in the ACC, I think uh, has drawn more attention to what the ACC can be. And look, Clemson's from a really – it's a really small town. There's not much there. South Carolina's not a big football state. They do have some talent, but there's more talent in the state of North Carolina. So – and they're – I mean, they're not – I would tell you this, Chapel Hill is a, a, a more fun town. So they have more to sell outside of, of – Clemson. Clemson obviously has built themselves up to be this massive, massive football program. So beyond that, though, you know, UNC is an attractive place to go to. It's in more of a metropolitan area with Raleigh and, and Durham nearby. Uh, a little bit more to do, but uh, that's, I guess, the kind of one of their sellers they can make. And academically, uh, North Carolina ranks up there with, uh, with any school in the ACC and any school in the nation. Oh, I know about those academics. I was one of the 88% of out-of-staters who did not get into UNC when I applied to college. Um, 
Sam Howell, obviously probably the biggest topic of conversation on a national perspective out of uh, out of UNC. Mark Sanchez a couple of days ago claimed that he will likely be in serious consideration or even a lock for ACC Player of the Year. We know who he's competing against for yeah. those accolades. Do you agree with that take? And also, from your perspective, from an insider perspective, what do you see the ceiling around Sam Howell being? Yeah, I mean, so obviously he's competing against Trevor Lawrence, right? I mean, that's the, the two big names. You never know who could, else could kind of pop in there. But uh, it comes down to kind of stats sometimes and wins. So I guess that would be a big factor with, with Clemson and UNC, and they could meet in the ACC championship. Um, I think Sam Howell is as good as chance as anybody. I mean, they're going to be throwing the ball. Your offense is going to be rolling. I mean, they have, they have such good wide receivers. I think it's one of the best wide receiver groups in the nation. They have two good running backs in Michael Carter. Javante Williams. The offensive line is a question mark, but outside of that, they have all the weapons for Sam Howe to be much better than last season. He was really, really good last season. 24-7 sports, freshman All-American. Uh, it's the offensive rookie of the year. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't see why he won't be right there lockstep with Trevor Lawrence. His ceiling, um, you know, he's he's a little bit limited in terms of his height, but we've, we've seen NFL how that is not a much of a factor with right. guys like Russell Wilson. Uh, the Cardinals, Cardinals quarterback's name escapes me, Bl- Baker Alibur, Mayfield. Right. Uh, I mean, you're seeing these guys who can move a little bit and create their own window to throw the ball. So the, the stereotypical 6'4", six, 6'5", six, quarterback is a little outdated. Um, so I don't think Heights is big of a deal. And, and he can run a little bit. He's not super mobile. He's not like a um, like a Lamar Jackson, for example. But he's got an arm, and he's accurate, and he's smart, and he studies, and he, he loves ball. And uh, – he just loves studying tape, and I think that's the key: loving the game and studying. You can you can only get better doing that, and there's there's you can always get better and improve, be more accurate, know the defense better, know the offense better, all those good things. I think Sam has that mental makeup, and he's pretty focused on uh on on his goals. I got a low battery here, Jonathan. So if I if I black out, <laughs> I've lost battery. I'm out here outside, so. I understand. I'll try to keep this last question short. By the way, Ryan Meyer really quickly does say, I may be an SEC guy, but I love UNC freshman yeah. quarterback. He's great. Year. Sam's great. Sam's great. Uh, all right. So as we near the end of the, the start of the season, excuse me, uh, the perceptive start of the season is now today. We're hearing more and more programs now put that off with Eastern Carolina, which is out actually near you guys. Uh, yeah. They just promote, they just delayed their start of the season. Um, you guys are coming off of a four-day hiatus due to coronavirus. Now that full scrimmage has been back, but they're few and far between, are we going to expect to see some growing pains if this thing does start in the early part of the season? Talk about UNC or in general? UNC, but if you have a take in general, yeah. absolutely let us have it. Yeah, I think these stops are going to be pretty common. I think it could happen in the middle of the, se- middle of the season. You know, maybe something happens and they're off Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and they have a cluster of players. I think it's going to be a regular occurrence that they're going to have to pause, test everybody, quarantine, maybe for 24 hours to check. So I think I think these breaks, which you're seeing at NC State, NC State had, had problems, had that uh, virus in their program uh, and the dance team. I don't know how the dance team and the football team got it. I'll let you do the math there. But um, uh, so I think it's normal, and I think it's going to be part of life now. Uh, with, with coronavirus, we're in a global pandemic. We're trying to play football in a global pandemic. So uh, – it was interesting, but I don't think they're, they're still back on track. They can get one more scrimmage in, and, and I don't think you would see be too affected. They, you know, they extended the game. They pushed it back uh, two weeks from the regular start time. 
So they do have a little buffer zone that was kind of built in. I think they kind of predicted this. They predicted students coming back and infecting a lot of people on campus. And uh, we're going to see that a lot throughout the season. It's going to be very interesting to see how many games they get in, if there's going to be pauses, there's going to be maybe two weeks off, and we're going to miss a couple games and come back in. Because I know the ACC being here in Greensboro, North Carolina, the, the home of the ACC, they definitely want to play. They want that money, and they'll do whatever it takes to, to get through as many games as, as possible. That has been a big topic conversation here on Are You Serious Sports? Landry football has been uh, the, the perception of, oh, we're doing this for the wellness and safety of the players when really it seems like the conversation has been, and the Southland proved that, has been really about financial gain. Uh, Ross, we'll let you go. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. You can cash, catch, wow, excuse me, Ross Martin on Inside Carolina 24-7 Sports, and he's the host of the Scoop Podcast. Did I miss anything there, Ross? Is there any other mediums that our viewers can consume your content? Yeah, Twitter, InsideCarolina.com, and then our podcast network. We have great, if you're interested in UNC uh, football and basketball, we have four or five podcasts a week. Uh, one of the one of the premier kind of team-centric podcasts uh, focused on UNC. Really quickly, when Oregon played UNC in that in that Final Four game, I was at, I was covering that game by the way, and Jordan yeah, Bell failed too. to bo- Jordan Bell failed. Yeah, we were in the same vicinity. I'm sure we were on opposite perspectives though. Jordan Bell Bell failed to a uh, box out on that final missed free throw that eventually led to the game winner or the seal the game for UNC. Am I wrong to feel that it was Oregon who lost it, or did UNC actually earn that win? God, you're taking me back. I mean, I remember that was it. Kenny Meeks who got the rebound. Was it Theo Pinson? Yep. There were yep. two big rebounds. There were two big rebounds in that game, I thought, in the last couple of minutes off free throws, I think. Um, I think y'all missed some free throws, right? Didn't Oregon miss he some did. free Tyler throws? Dorsey missed two free throws at the yeah. end of the game. Yeah, yes, so that team was destined after losing on that on the last second shot in 2016. Uh, they were so close at all those games. Never, every game was pretty exciting, I, I, I remember. And then even, even the Gonzaga game was close. So I think that was a UNC was a team of destiny that year. Oh, yeah. Well, Ross, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We look forward to talking with you soon. For sure. I appreciate it, Jonathan. Take care. Ross Martin from Inside Carolina. What a great interview. Great back-to-back interviews, guys. How about that? Robbie Weinstein from 24-7 National News Desk covering Vanderbilt joined us. And Ross Martin, I'll make sure that those interviews are up for your uh, playback consummation as well. Let me change the banner here for you guys so we can get out of here the right way. We're going to cut the show short today. I know many of you are trying to recover, are still going through the effects of Hurricane Laura here in California, the the two big fires that uh, have burned half the state. People all, I mean, between the two, there's got to be two plus million people at least displaced uh, or in danger. So our hearts here at AYS are out with you. You're in our thoughts and our prayers. And please let us know what we can do to help. I'll be back on Tuesday for more Just Recruiting with Jonathan Rifkin. We're going to have a big guest. If you guys didn't hear the number one center for the class of 2023 committed to Arizona State. He's from Texas. Uh, That is the biggest offensive line commit ever in Arizona State's history. He'll join the show on Tuesday. We'll get uh, perhaps a beat cover person as well make sure you keep it here to are you serious sports on landry football for all of your football needs i'm pretty sure that there might be a show tonight i think blake Rafino alluded to it if there is seven o'clock central five o'clock here on the pacific coast for ays sec edition but for everybody here at are you serious sports and landry football my name is jonathan rifkin have a great afternoon please try to stay safe please please Whatever you can, protect yourself and your loved ones. That is the utmost importance uh, for you and for us here. And we hope that you uh, are able to join us once again on Tuesday for more Just Recruiting with Jonathan Rifkin here on the Landry Football Network. We're going to end with a message here from RUCR Sports.
I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.